Amen, Aaron. Thank you to our worship team and thank you to those at home joining us. Uh, let me add my very own welcome and happy new year to you. My name is Buzz and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Three Crosses. And I'm really excited about today. Um, the band helped me out by playing probably my third favorite song, uh, Graves Into Gardens. And I love that song, how it pulls imagery from the prophetic literature, including the prophet Jeremiah, whose writings we're going to look at today as we kind of sit in Lamentations chapter 3. And today we're going to have a bit of a special service where we do that. We try to sit in and experience and feel and wait on God's mercies, which are promised to us as new every morning. And so my hope is that throughout our service today, that you'll be able to be honest with God about what needs renewal in your life, and you'll be able to trust Him to do something about it. And we're going to do this in a bit of a different way, just like Pastor Danny uh, gave you a heads up about at the top, with our regular sermon time almost in two halves. And in the middle, we're going to celebrate the communion meal. So if you have elements at home, such as bread or juice, go ahead and gather those now if you haven't yet done so, uh, to be ready for that celebration, which really is going to form the center point of what we do here today. You know, I think this is a great way to kick off 2021, uh, personally. Um, It's been a tough year, as many of us know and continue to say, but to center ourselves on the life and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a great way to begin any day, let alone the first Sunday of a new year's calendar. And so this passage in Lamentations 3 that we're going to unpack today really is one of my favorites. And Lamentations... I don't really know how to say it, but it's not exactly at the top of list for inspirational, light, devotional reading. I mean, it's a heavy book. You know, if you're finding it in your Bible at home, it's tucked right between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, just four chapters snuck in there, which record the lament or those poems of grief, which the prophet Jeremiah wrote down as he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and the carrying off of the Jewish people into exile in Babylon. Think about that. You know, sometimes I envision Jeremiah like sitting up on a mountain uh, overlooking the city of Jerusalem where almost everyone he knows has been carried off into a foreign land. We don't know when they're coming back. Where the temple that he had worshipped at each and every week had been razed to the ground, completely and utterly destroyed. Where the hopes and dreams that he had planted and watered and hoped to see grow were just brought to a stop in an instant. And the dreams of everyone around him just crushed. Jeremiah looks out at that community that had lost everything, both as individuals, but also as a city, as a people, as a nation, as a corporate unit. They had all lost something. They had all been touched. And so that person, that Jeremiah, that person's experiences is what brings these words to us. And maybe we can find ourselves in them somewhere today. So let's look at chapter 3. We'll begin our reading in verse 18. And we'll read all the way to 24 this morning. And it says this. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. And this posture that Jeremiah shows here, this remembrance and his lament and his grief and also his hope 
I think really is a good word for us as we sit on the precipice of this new year. Now, I don't know a single person who didn't look forward to flipping that calendar from 2020 to 2021. You know, I'm not sure if you've heard, but 2020 was not great for a lot of people. I've seen it on Facebook, and so therefore it's true. And in fact, I saw this t-shirt in an ad on Facebook, and so you know you had to buy it. And it looks something just like this. And so I don't know if we can get that on the, the old camera there. Uh, but it's as if 2020 were a Yelp review for a restaurant. 2020, one star out of five, very bad, would not recommend. So if this were a restaurant, you would not eat there again. You would want to speak to a manager. You'd want to get your money back, right? Our very own Cafe Four is selling socks that say 2020 sucks, but Cafe Four does not, right? We're in on the game. And even my grandma posted on Facebook, you know, midnight, January 1, 2021. It's the first time your hindsight will be 2020. Thank you, Grandma, for all of this. But it's just true that we're all happy to have 2020 in the rear view mirror, isn't it? If we're ever in need of a fresh start, it's now. If we're ever in need of a new mercy, then it's 2021, isn't it? You know, maybe we didn't face down an invading army that destroyed our whole city like Jeremiah did. Maybe we didn't lose our temple and our friends and our homeland and face a literal exile and deportation. But the truth of it is that we all feel like we lost something here in 2020. We all feel like we lost something in 2020. Is that how you feel? at home? Man, I think it probably is. You know, sometimes feelings, though, get like a bad reputation, as if feelings are a part of our experience out of step with reality, that your feelings, like, might lie to you, or uh, that you should trust things like facts or decisions or choices. These are, like, firmer things to rely on, and that's true, I think, in part, but I also think it's true that our feelings speak to us in a way uh, that helps our body and our person and our experience understand things which almost are too deep for words. And so put another way, we don't feel like we lost something in 2020 because we're weak or we don't know how to process the world. Rather, I think we feel like we lost something this year because we did lose something this year and we don't know how to process it. That grief you feel, that's a true thing. That feeling of loss, it's expressing to you something important. So maybe we can rephrase it and say we did lose something in 2020. This makes me feel like Jeremiah might have felt in that he's grieving a real and a tangible loss, looking out at destruction and hopelessness. You know, what did you lose this year as you look out into your world? What do you grieve the passing of? What do you lament over? You know, maybe you can even speak it out right now in your homes, or if you're taking notes, write it down. Put a name to it. It's okay to be honest about your grief and to tell the truth to the Lord about what you're feeling. He already knows your heart, so we might as well tell the truth. And I'll share a few things that we lost. And, you know, my family was very blessed in the midst of this. We didn't lose as much as a lot of people did. And we are thankful to God for his grace and um, continuing to care for me and my family. But like everyone, we lost something. You know, I think back to March. My grandfather uh, passed away. And we miss him. I'll see him again in the life to come. But... Right now we grieve his loss. We were close and he prayed for me every day and I can't call him anymore. That's it, end of the road, 2020. I think about my kids, so hopeful looking forward to baseball season and you know they go through the tryouts which is tough to do when you've never played baseball before and they get to the practices and they're working hard and they're hitting balls on the tee in the backyard. They get the equipment, the uniforms finally arrive and the next day is the first game but we get an email, the season's canceled. You can't play 
right on the cusp. My kids lost their first baseball season. They lost a whole year of childhood memories at, at school, at home, not in the classroom. If you're a teacher, you lost what you signed up for as a career. Maybe you had a canceled trip or we all canceled holidays with family. We canceled time with our friends. Maybe you missed a graduation experience. Maybe you couldn't go away to college like you dreamed. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a career. Maybe you've even lost your home or a place to live. Or maybe you've had a passing of a loved one. As more, if the CDC can be believed, more than 350,000 in the U.S., almost 2 million worldwide have suffered, and that's just from the COVID data alone, let alone the normal grief, the normal passing, the normal death, which plagues humanity every turn, every single day. And so I think Lamentations puts it rightly a lot of times when it says something like, my endurance has perished and so has my hope. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, these bitter, hard-to-taste, hard-to-digest truths. Remember those. My soul, Jeremiah says, continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. You know, in Jeremiah's day, they, they had all lost something. Every single person was touched by this event. And here in 2020, we've all lost something together. Every single person, all of us have been touched it's a new and a unique way of processing this grief, not as individuals, but as a community together. You know, maybe you've even seen that. We're all in this together, commercials say. I saw one from my credit card company telling me they were in it with me. I saw one for a soft drink. We're in this together. Like, it didn't really help that much to know that my credit card company was suffering with me. I don't feel like they really are, you know? Uh, and to say that we're in it together, even if it's true, doesn't solve it, though. It's nice to be seen and known and to have someone alongside, like that's a vital part of life. But somewhere, sometimes, somebody has to have an answer, don't they? Someone needs to solve it. Someone needs to do something. It needs to get fixed. And I'm not here just speaking about COVID and coronavirus policy. I'm speaking more broadly about the grief and loss and lament that shapes our lives. It's not enough to say that, you know, you're not the only one suffering, and it's not enough to say, like, I know how you must feel. Like, at a certain point, we need a solution. Somebody needs to do something about it. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has done something for us. Jesus has done everything for us. Not least of which is that he is with us in the midst of our loss the Lord is with us in the midst of that loss. You know, my favorite psalm, Psalm 34, 18, says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 4, verse 15, he says that we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted such as we are, yet without sin. So it's not just that Jesus is near it's not just that Jesus knows, it's that he has done something about it. You know, Hebrews is explaining to us that if you've suffered grief, Jesus has as well. If you've suffered the loss of a friend, so has he. If you've suffered hunger and not knowing where your next meal is coming from, so has he. If you've suffered emotional pain, so has he. If you've suffered disappointment, so has he. If you don't know your future and are worried about it, man, in the garden, so did he. Whatever you are experiencing, Christ has suffered it and suffers it with you. 
but he's done something about it by descending into this earth to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. In other words, he wants to fix the root cause of this grief and loss and shame and hurt. It's that separation from him which is caused by sin. He experienced every type of tragedy and every suffering that we also face, but more than just knowing what we go through, he provided for us a solution. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has granted us access into a relationship with him, a relationship that restores what we've lost and hints at the promise of what is to come, a world fully made new where God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. It's beautiful, and it's coming soon. And so when we partake of the communion meal together, it says in the scriptures that we proclaim that death until he comes. Communion is a reminder that Jesus is indeed with us no matter what. He doesn't just say he's in it with us. He becomes with us so that he can partake of our experiences and provide the solution. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he gathered with his disciples in what we call the upper room. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew what was to come. He knew the difficulty that they would all be facing. And those disciples, I mean, they didn't. Maybe they even thought that they did. Maybe they tried hard to believe Jesus. Maybe they tried hard to walk after him and follow where he led and go where he commanded. Maybe they tried. Maybe they even thought they knew. Maybe they thought they were ready, but they simply had no idea what was to come. I mean, how, how could they? They were about to walk with Jesus Christ into the week of his passion where he would be tried, condemned, and crucified. How do you prepare for the loss of your Messiah right before your eyes? Uh, simply put, it's an unprecedented experience that they faced. Man, and that's a word we've used a lot in 2020, isn't it? Unprecedented. And I think it's true that in many ways, the woes that this last year has thrust upon us are indeed things that people haven't ever had to deal with throughout time. Yet, in another way, I think it's also true that the human experience is nothing more than one unprecedented event after another. As Peter put it when he wrote the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, he says, when you experience something trying, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice because we share in Christ's sufferings. And so whether you were experiencing the unprecedented fall of the covenant community and the temple and the monarchy that God himself had inaugurated, like Jeremiah the prophet did, or whether you experienced an unprecedented loss of loved ones and jobs and hopes and dreams as we have in this past year, or whether you've suffered the loss of your very life and your Messiah as the disciples did, we know that as we suffer, Jesus suffers with us. And he is with us and he allows us to overcome. Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again and provided that solution. And so I'm gonna invite the band back up here to play a song that just meditates on the idea that God is inviting us to come to a place of meeting, a place of sacrifice, where we can offer ourselves to him. I want you to know that as you come and as you prepare your communion elements, that God already is welcoming you, that he himself has provided the sacrifice. There's nothing you need to fix. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to get right before you can approach Jesus Christ. His arms are open for you and he is ready now and always. So if you have a repentant heart and you want to meet with him, that's all 
that it takes. And so let's celebrate that in worship together. And then I'll come back up and lead us in the partaking of the communion elements. And so let's worship. I love celebrating communion. And I love the reminder of the gospel that it is for us. And that no matter what comes, Jesus is with us, making all things new. I love of communion that it's an ancient ritual. I mean, stretching back thousands of years to the time of Christ, and even before that to the Passover meal. For thousands of years, people have been eating a meal and remembering the goodness of God in their lives. And today, as we do it in a fresh and a new way, we stand in that legacy of faithfulness that God has had to his people. And it's beautiful. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think that both and is sort of what Jeremiah has in mind when he looks at the suffering and the hurt and the pain in his community, but he also remembers that God is faithful always and remains faithful today. You know, Lamentations 3 so far has been pretty heavy. It has words of grief and words of hopelessness and words of lament, as we've already reflected, but also words of hope. And so in the midst of that heaviness, let's not forget that verses 21 through 24 are coming. And as they say, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. I love that line at the end that the Lord is our portion, that he is enough for us. It reminds me of the daily bread in the Lord's Prayer or even the body of Christ in this communion meal that we've just celebrated. He is enough for us today and every day. But did you take that sacrament there in your home and open your eyes and everything instantly changed in your circumstances? Did you turn that calendar to 2021 and see your problems instantly fade away? Look down at your iPhone and see that one and everything was fixed? Maybe you simply decided to have a mental shift and look at the bright side and find a silver lining and did that elevate your life? Did that work? Or is it true that sometimes we might be looking forward to what's new a bit too quickly? Are you looking forward to what's new too quickly? You know, Christ does not promise us new circumstances immediately. He doesn't promise instant ease and immediate gratification In fact, often the opposite, but Jesus does promise to be with us in the midst of whatever comes. As Matthew 28 says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I think it's just true that God is much more patient about his grace and his newness and his mercies than we are ready to receive. I remember the a time in the last couple of years I got the biggest picture, a visual of patience and long-suffering that I've experienced in my life, I think. I was traveling on missions in Romania, and my friend Florine took me to a cafe in the downtown area of Cluj, uh, the city where he lives. And one thing I love about traveling in Europe is just how old everything is. I love thinking about the history and the people groups and the migrations and the hopes and dreams of the people that have inhabited those areas. And... I don't know, I love it, I love history, but we visited a cafe next to a university in downtown Cluj. The university's like hundreds of years old, and by contrast, the downtown area in my hometown where I grew up is like 50 years old, and that feels like a long time to me, you know, 1970. Uh, But in Cluj, overlooking that square where the university and the cafe kind of are near is an old church, uh, St. Michael's Church, or in Romanian, Biserica Sfântul Mihail. Uh, And this church is older even than the rest of the square. 
And I brought a coaster, which I'm reliably informed you cannot see, but I can see it. And so you can trust me that this is a picture of that. And uh, this is a souvenir that I picked up at this square. I like to get coasters from where I travel and when I use them in my house, it reminds me to pray for these people. So if you think about it today, pray for the Romanians, pray for uh, people in Europe uh, today that need the gospel and that need a touch from the Lord or people that you know and you love, I mean, all around the world. That's a little bit of an aside, but I know not everybody loves history and some dates that I'm about to roll out might be confusing, but try to hang in there. And so this church on my coaster was commissioned in 1349, 1349, meaning that commissions, like they got the construction started, they raised the funds, uh, some architect drew some plans, some engineer worked on the structure to make sure everything was good. They found materials and brought them in uh, from all over uh, Transylvania, the region that they are in, and the process got started. 1349. The church wasn't completed until 1442, uh, which is 93 years later. I mean, think about that. The same people that dreamed about this church, that had a vision of this church, the same people that drew the plans, the same people who did the fundraising campaigns, the same people who gave the money to the church building, the same people who dug the stone and hammered the nails, the same people who had this vision of a cathedral in which they could worship the Lord in 1349, not a single person lived to see its conclusion. You know, not just some of the community, from the government to the church to the taxpayer to the military, for a hundred years the whole community was devoted to playing a part in the building of this cathedral. It was a dream that they shared together and not everyone saw it finished. Excuse me. Later they added a tower, which they finished in 1545. It's about 200, or another 100 years later. And then they renovated it again in 1862, and they installed the clock that you can see in there today. That's a mere 300 years uh, after that. And so if you visit it today, you can go down front and pray at the altar, which was built in 1390. And then you can come across the street and have a coffee in the newest style, just as I did, sitting in its shadow, just like centuries of travelers before you. You can enjoy 650 years of history, success, pain, joy, heartbreak, and more just in one cafe trip if your eyes are open to see it. You enjoy what they planted and watered. But we're not always like those cathedral builders, are we? I think we're more sudden than that. We're more impatient than that. We look for new mercies that God has promised us every morning, and what we mean is that God needs to complete his work in my life now, on my timeline, in my way, and in the way that I've framed it. I think we're less like those cathedral builders and more like the kids who get everything on their Christmas list and then by January 1 are on Amazon looking to get more. We don't wait with the Lord. We don't sit with the Lord. We don't grieve with the Lord. We don't move with the Lord in his timing. We want the new mercies and we want them right now. We're not willing to lay plans to build over centuries and then have someone else reap the reward of our faithfulness. We are much more focused on ourselves than that. But God's mercy is richer, it's deeper, and it's more eternal than we often see. God's mercy is not something which he doles out just for one day. God's mercy does not expire. God's mercy is something that he is building into us as individuals, but also as a community, as a family, his church that will continue for our lifetime, for lifetimes beyond us, and for the life to come. As Jeremiah put it in Lamentations 3, this we call to mind and we have hope. 
he makes an intentional act of the will to put those mercies into his remembrance, looking behind, but also looking ahead. So are we looking for the new too quickly before we can really sit in and earn the faithfulness that God is trying to work in us? Because we have to remember, new mercies doesn't mean that God hasn't already been merciful to us. This is a classic Buzz Hannon patented double negative, only double because I couldn't find a triple. But what I'm trying to say is that new mercies, we should remember that God already is merciful to us. Look here at how Jeremiah phrases it in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I've just been challenging us to see how throughout the centuries, God is faithful to us and to those who have gone before us. So to say we need a new mercy doesn't mean we should so quickly forget how good that God has always already been. You know, I don't want my relationship with God to be oriented primarily about what he can do for me. I don't want to see his mercy in my life as driven by stuff or accumulation or provision or even things like wisdom and leading in decisions, like a transactional thing that if God loves me, he'll do things for me. I don't think I want to find those trivial blessings. Look how much deeper Jeremiah aims here. In verse 21, he shows us hope. In verse 22, he shows us love. In verse 22, again, he shows us mercy. In verse 23, he shows us newness and freshness and then again, faithfulness. In verse 24, we see a portion. In verse 24, again, we see hope. And if you read on in chapter 3, you see goodness. You see his patience, his long-suffering, his salvation, his compassion, and more. And look at how long-lasting, how eternal, how integral, and how critical they are to our lives. Much beyond things like money or safety or a job, God takes what we think we need in this world and shows us that he is ready to provide above and beyond that which is more lasting, always giving us something more beautiful than we would settle for. No, I don't want to settle for a transactional blessing. I want to partake in relationship with Jesus Christ and the eternal life that it brings, the living water, the bread of life, both for this world and for the life to come. So I say it again, the new mercies of God are not something novel or trivial as if we have found them just for the first time today. No, they are eternal. From before the foundations of the world until beyond its end, God's mercies are deep and rich and lasting. New mercy means that God renews them for us always and continually. New mercy means that God renews his mercy for us always and continually. And we've seen that renewal of mercy even in this year, even in 2020, even in our loss, haven't we? Have you seen how God has blessed you even as you've suffered? You know, at the beginning, I was sharing about how I've lost my grandpa from March, and I grieve that. I can't call him. I can't be prayed for every day. But man, I tell you what, the faithfulness that he has laid down into my life and into that of my family continues to endure. I mean, he prayed for me and my kids. He has given us... <laughs> Just a model of a life to follow. The way he was good to my mom, the way that he was good to us has trickled down and I hope is blessing my kids even now that I can be a man like he showed me how to be. I get that every day, even if I can't call him on the phone. It's a new mercy. You know, my sons lost baseball. They lost school. They have to be on Zoom all day. But what they gained is time at home with mom and dad in a new way that none of us planned for, none of us really signed up for, but it's a gift thrust upon us into our laps, and we have meals together, we pray together, we do homework together. Maybe the kids wish we even were more together 
than we are. But man, we have a togetherness that is itself unprecedented. and We've tried to seize that. You know, our church, Three Crosses, we lost gathering together in this room to worship the Lord, and I grieve that, and I miss that, and I hope that it's coming again soon, but we have not lost the togetherness and the Spirit of Christ in our lives, speaking to us each and every day. His mercies have been new to us each and every day, even in 2020. So whether you're Jeremiah walking past the ruin of a temple, whether you're a European walking past a hundreds-year-old cathedral, or whether you're right here in the Bay Area putting your mask on to go to the store and zooming in to work, you can remember that God's mercies have always been there for us. They'll be there for us today. They'll be there for us tomorrow. And they will be with us forever. Mercy is new every morning. Yesterday, today, and forever, God is with us. And that gift of his presence, that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, that's the real mercy. So can you take it? Can you receive that today? So how do we respond to Jeremiah's challenges to us here in chapter three? I want to suggest three things. Excuse me. So firstly, let's be open and honest with the Lord about how we feel. Let's be open and honest with the Lord about how we feel. I think one of the great messages of Lamentations 3 is that we can just tell the Lord the truth. I mean, if Jeremiah can write about how he is crushed and grieved and bowed down by what he is facing, surely we can tell God the truth about how we feel or what we've lost. I mean, try it. If you can't find the right words, use some of the words here in the scriptures. Start with this chapter. Maybe move into the Psalms or try the Lord's Prayer. Be honest with God. If you feel hurt and lost, tell him. If you feel like he's abandoned you, tell him. If you think you got a raw deal in 2020, tell him. If you're waiting for a turnaround, tell him. If you don't know what to say, you can even tell him that. Man, and could we make turning to the Lord in prayer our default this year? As opposed to some of these easy defaults which might have crept in, things like our screens, our phones, our social media, our technology, our food, our drink, those things that are easy to satisfy in the moment but have no true answer for us. Can we stop exchanging for a counterfeit version of connection when we can go to the source, the Lord who is new every morning with what we have in our hearts? He's the one that can do something about it. So let's make prayer, like real prayer, prayer of repentance, prayer of listening, prayer of lament, prayer of praise, prayer of relationship. Let's make that, not just asking God for stuff, but let's make that sense of true relationship central in our lives in 2020. I believe, or excuse me, 2021. I believe he wants to hear from us. So let's tell him the truth. All right, number two. Let's remember how good God has already been to us in our lives. You know, in the midst of telling the Lord how you feel, don't forget to add some gratitude. You know, what if we had a habit in 2021, instead of noticing how much we had lost or how different things are, we instead marked it by how much we have? What if we reflected on the stories in the scripture, not as things which happened to people long ago, but rather as our family heritage, things which happened to us and continue to provide faithfulness in our lives each and every day? What if we took a few minutes each day to tell our loved ones that they are simply that, loved? And what if we took a few minutes to thank God for what we have? We have so much, 
even in the midst of grief and loss and pandemic. And remember, I'm not calling you to change your thinking or just look for a silver lining. Rather, I'm calling you to look your life fully in the face with both the good and the bad and to tell the truth about it all, remembering always that God is overcoming and making all things new. So let's remember how good he has been to us in our lives. And number three, let's keep our eyes open to how he is moving all around us. And if God's mercies are truly new, and I think they are, and if he is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I think he is, then let's keep our eyes open to see his goodness and his kingdom breaking in all around us. Let's be thankful for what he's done in the past. Let's ask him for what we need to see in the future, but let's live in this moment aware of what he is doing each and every single day. What if we really believed that Jesus was with us always, even to the end of the age, and committed to him to experience that relationship in that way? By starting each morning, asking him for a new mercy, to reveal to us the mercy he is already unfolding all around us, a real, rich, deep, eternal, and long-lasting plan of redemption which has spanned centuries and which will surely not leave us behind. What if we decided to turn the page on 2020, to stop speaking as if everything is broken and to begin to speak as if all things are becoming new. For so they are, as Jeremiah says. This we call to mind and therefore we have hope. That steadfast Lord, hope, excuse me, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray.